joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above, melts the clouds of Thank you for joining us for this program from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Let's go to God in prayer as we begin this morning. God, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. We thank you for the love that you show us every day. We thank you for the grace and, and the mercy that is given to us freely. God, help us to just open up our hearts and receive that from you um, in, in, in a way that just brings joy to our life and brings a light that shines on you everywhere we go. Be with us as we study this morning, God. Help us to uh, open our life to your spirit, allow it to move within us and convict us, God, to live a life that is closer to you uh, today than it ever has been. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite uh, kind of things to do, and, and social media has made these maybe a little more funny, a little more re relevant uh, in times, but is is before and after. Some of my favorite before and afters uh, are, are presidential before and afters. I didn't put any of those up, but one of the things that they talk about about presidents is how much, because of the stress of the job of being president, how much a, a man as ages between taking office and leaving office, and you've seen a lot of a lot of those pictures. But I believe there's a couple of other days in our life uh, that are equally as stressful. The, um, the first day of school is a stressful day. Uh, when I typed in before and after pictures, this picture of this little girl, I don't have any idea who she is, but it popped up all over the place that this was her first day of school picture in the morning and then her coming home from school that afternoon. Um, how many of you just feel that way at the end of the day, period? Just, I just feel this way every day period every day. Um, another stressful thing is family vacation. Th this was one, uh, before family vacation and after family vacation. Anybody ever feel this way after you go on vacation with your family? It, um, you know, vacations are supposed to be like uh, peaceful and restful and you're supposed to rejuvenate, but family vacation is, is not, you have to go on vacation by yourself to feel that way, right? And uh, not necessarily family vacation. But as we get into chapter two, um, verses 1 through 10 that we're going to look at together. Uh, we're going to read it in its, uh, in its kind of entirety here, and then we'll come back up here and break it down. But Paul kind of gives us a before and after, before, what you were before Christ and then what you become after Christ. So he has spent chapter 1 talking about the power of God through God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he does this, and, and really, Paul is kind of changing his writing style in the book of Ephesians just a little bit. Most of the time when you read the letters of Paul, and, and really a lot of the New Testament letters, it usually starts with, um, I'm thankful for you, I'm praying for you, I'm grateful for you. But in the book of Ephesians, 
he, he kind of has his introduction of, hey, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, um, you know, this is to the book or to the people in Ephesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, and that's where he usually then goes, I thank God for you. Instead, he jumps into that big, long paragraph of who God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is, and he, he paints this beautiful picture of, of the three facets of God, that God is one, but yet God is three, and he gives us this image of what each of those three parts represents and and what we can look for in each of them and then he start, he goes from talking about God and if you look in chapter 2 uh, verse 1 he says now as for you so we've talked about God and what he is and who he is and the wonderfulness of all of that and now we want to say now let's take the focus and let's shift it and let's look into our own lives a little bit and he gets he gets really personal he gets really personal. So let's read the first 10 verses together. Then, like I said, we'll come up to the screens and we'll break them down and talk about some individual things for them. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, let's talk about some things together. Let's start, I guess, in the first three verses. The first three verses, and I've kind of highlighted and underlined some things that are really going to kind of be our points as we go through here. But he starts out, he says, as for you, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Christians in Ephesus that are going to be reading and hearing this letter. He goes, as for you, you were dead. You were dead. You were lifeless. You had, you had nothing going for you. You were just, you were just there. There, there, there. there was nothing living about you. But he says, why were you dead? He says, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. So he says, the things that you did, those things that counted against you, those transgressions, those things that counted against you in God's eyes, those sins that you lived in, those things that were counter to what God wanted you to do, he said the effect of that in your life was ultimately you were dead. And you were dead, he's not really talking physically here because they were physically alive, but he says spiritually, he said there was a time in your life that you had nothing spiritual about you. You were dead. And, and, and really, I mean, I don't think that I have to expound on what dead means. Um, but he said you were that way because of your sins. He said in which you used to live when you, and th these are the things that kind of define sin in our life, when you followed the ways of this world, 
and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And I didn't highlight this, but the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. So he kind of gives three things here. He says, number one, you know you're dead when you're following the ways of the world. Now, you think about sin in the world today, and there are, there are, there are certain sins, I guess, that even the world still looks at and, and kind of goes, okay, that's wrong. That's, that's wrong. But if we really take our time and we really pay attention to the media, we really pay attention to entertainment, one of the things that I think of when I think of the ways of this world is that sin is not necessarily something in the way of the world that is hidden. For the most part, as a Christian, if I get caught up in sin, and I've got something I'm really struggling with, and I've got something that I'm having a hard time letting go of, and, and I've gotten close enough to Satan that Satan's able to grab me and pull me in again, and, and I'm living, I've gone from temptation to sin. Most of the time, most Christians, when they're living that, they're still trying to live for God. They're still trying to live in Jesus. They're trying to still live in the Holy Spirit, but they've got this thing within them that's man, they're really battling with. A lot of the times, we want to do that and live in that sin in a way where no one's going to find out. We try to sin secretly. Do we not? We, we, we don't want everybody to know about our sin. We, we, want it, we want to be able to walk in with our church mask on Sunday morning without everybody knowing this thing that I'm struggling with, this problem that I have. The difference in Christians sinning and the ways of the world is the world celebrates sin. The world celebrates it. The world says that you have this one view on marriage, and you can have that, but there's also these other views on marriage, and we're going to celebrate all those things. You're wonderful if you, if, if you live alternate lifestyles to what God calls you to. We're going to put you up on a pedestal and praise you for that. Okay, so, so we take sin uh, in the ways of the world, and we, we magnify it, we glorify it, we give it a place, and we say, if you live this way, good for you. Way to just be who you are. Way, way to go against the world and, you know, or what everybody says and just, just be true to yourself. The world's way of sin is to celebrate sin. So if you get to a point in your life where you're looking at sin and you're falling into that you celebrate it, you know that you're in the direction of being dead because of it. But who is, who is the reason for it? I mean, other than, than ourselves. But he says the person behind all of this is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which would be who? Would be Satan. And, and I love what he says. He goes, it's the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, I love that word there because it is in direct correlation to what we read at the end of chapter 1 on the Holy Spirit. So he tells us the Holy Spirit comes into our lives for a couple of different reasons. Remember, he says it is your deposit guaranteeing your salvation. It is going to guarantee your inheritance. Like he is there, he's living in you. He is, he is giving you life now through God, through the Holy Spirit, you know, you, you're living this life. But he said the opposite side of that is when you're dead, it's not the Holy Spirit who's living in you. Whose spirit has control of you? The spirit of Satan. And if you're wondering, is, is, is it the Holy Spirit that's in me or has Satan got a hold of me? I think you go back and you look and you go, hey, am I following the ways of this world? Am I celebrating, am I celebrating sin? 
Am I looking at it and going, hey, that's okay, good for you, good for you, I'm, I'm proud of that in you. You know, he's, and, and to me, it's not, it's not necessarily just whether you're living in it or not. Like I said, it's whether you celebrate it, whether you condone it and say, yeah, hey, it's okay. It may not be what I want to do, but hey, you go do you. And that's okay. He's saying if you're living in that direction, then the spirit of Satan is the one that is living in us. And then when that happens, he goes, it's got, something happens. It goes on. He says, all of us lived among them at one time. And I think that's an important verse in this whole section. Because it would be easy for, for Christians to look at it and go, but that's not me anymore. I live by the Holy Spirit. I don't live by the spirit of Satan. But he reminds us, all of us at one time or another have struggled with sin. Just because you may not be having a major struggle right now doesn't make you better than those who are. He says, remember that. It's not, it's, it's, it's not about what you're, you've all been there. We've all been in this struggle. He says, we've all had times in our life where we've been trying to gratify the craving of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. He, he's just telling us that, that sin is real and sin is a struggle. That sin is a struggle. You know, a lot of times when I think about, when I hear the word cravings, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word cravings? Food. Food. Man, listen, did you notice last night that the dessert table was bigger than the regular food table? Anybody notice that? And you know what I didn't see people taking home? I didn't see people taking home chili hot dogs and soup last time. I saw bowls of desserts going home with people. Why is that? Because our cravings a lot of times don't center around things that are necessarily good for us. Not that a, a chili dog's the greatest thing for you, but it's not too bad compared to three cupcakes, right? Compared to three cupcakes. And what do we want to do? It's not enough to just have one cupcake. How many of you that were there last night had one cupcake? Okay, that's not true. Because there are some of you in here that just lied because I saw you with a cupcake. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Um, that's a whole different sermon. But we look at those things I've got. We, cravings means I've got to have them. It's all I can think about. So all I can think about. Some of you, I'm talking about cupcakes, and your mouth watering right now. You're like, oh, I'd love a cupcake. But he said sin's the same way. There are things that are out there that's, that Satan plants in front of us, and he's like, you need this. You've got to have this. And he says, we've all gone through times where we have let our thoughts and feelings and desires for that thing that we should not have drive us. He says, don't forget that. Don't forget that there was a before Jesus in your life. Because we were all this way. And he says, like the rest of the people that are living this life every day, he says, we were deserving of wrath. Wrath from who? From God. You know, one of the things we don't talk about a whole lot is God's wrath in today's church. We don't talk about God's wrath a whole lot. How many of you grew up in a time, though, where the judgment of God was preached very thoroughly every Sunday? Every Sunday. The, the pendulum has kind of changed, got kind of swung to the other side. That, and, and a lot of times when that happens, it swings because maybe it was preached too hard to one side. 
and not in balance. And so when something's not taught in balance, what happens is it goes from one extreme to the other to where now we have what we call just grace, grace, grace gospels in a lot of places, in a lot of situations. But the truth is that when we live this life, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, it puts us in a situation where we are deserving of God's wrath. And, and, and God's wrath, you know, wrath in our idea, in our kind of language, is almost like uncontrollable anger. Like, oh, you don't want to make mom mad. Because if mom loses it, you know, it's, it's your fault. You're going to have to deal with the fallout. That's our mind. Don't, don't make them mad or you're going to have to deal with their wrath. It's this uncontrolled anger. But with God, it's not uncontrolled anger. It's just punishment. You deserve it. Every bit of it. And it's not he's lost it and just going to take everything out on you. It's you have built up, you know, the, the, the charges. And now they've come to you. And you're going to face the wrath of God. And, and you look throughout the Old Testament, you look throughout the book of Revelation, I mean, you see the wrath of God is real. And there comes a point where God says, enough is enough. It's time for you to be punished for what you've done. And I think another reason we don't talk about that a whole lot is how many of you enjoy the talk of punishment? How many of you look at punishment and go, that's a positive thing? Very rare, as, as adults maybe, but I bet our kids, I bet the kids in the room, when we, if we start talking about punishment, they look at that and they're like, that's the worst. Like, I don't enjoy punishment. It has no benefit other than to upset me, but we understand that punishment is a part of growth. Punishment is a part of maturity, but God's saying that it gets to a point where it's not just about punishment, it's about payment. It's about you're getting what you have invested in. And the payout of sin is the wrath of God. And we don't talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable. It scares us. And rightfully so. It should scare us. We should have a healthy, respectful fear of the judgment of God. That should be part of the process of us coming to Christ because I realize I don't want that in my life. But he's reminding us here, you've seen the beauty of God in chapter 1. Now, if you want to live a life without God, this is what it's going to look like. This is the before image that he paints for us. Let's quickly keep going. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, if you underline things in your Bible, or circle things. This is, this is the, the key verse in this section, underlined, but God. But God. So many things in our life are terrible until God's inserted. I was living this way, but God came into my life. I had this type of marriage, but God came into my life. I had this addiction, but God came into my life. But because of his love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us what? Alive. He made us alive. We, we, if we have our choice between life or death, what are we going to, what are we going to choose? We're going to choose life. One of the interesting things about human nature is you are born to do one thing. What are you eventually going to do? Once you're born, you are eventually going to die. But we spend our whole life trying to what? Live. 
We spend our whole life trying to live, trying to prolong our life, trying to make ourselves healthier so that we can live longer. And he says, look, from a spiritual perspective, from a spiritual perspective, once you are in Jesus, once you had that salvation experience, once you come to him and you repent of your sins and you're baptized and you receive the Holy Spirit like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he says, you live a life that is alive. That is exciting, that is wonderful, that is full. And he says, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So the first thing he points out here is, hey, he says, you, were, you need to appreciate your life. You need to appreciate your life because it comes through Jesus, and without it, you're dead. Without it, you're dead. And he's trying to get us to understand this that you may think you enjoy life, and we're, we're going to touch on this here in just a minute, but you may think you're enjoying life when you're dead, but he says it's nothing compared to life in Jesus. And then verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is really, I guess you could say, the first benefit that he talks about, that once we become children of God, we talked a few weeks ago about being chosen, being part, becoming part of the family, right? Being his child. And he says the benefit of that is we are raised up with Christ. When we think of Jesus, we think of Jesus and we see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. He's sitting there as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, not only are you my, you my, you, are you my children, he says, I'm raising you up to sit with Christ as co-heirs of the kingdom. He's putting us at the table with Jesus, at the head of the table with Jesus. He's not putting us at the kids' table. We're coming up on Thanksgiving, and we're coming up on family times, and, and people are going to be in your home, and, and you're, and you're going to be in other people's homes. And, and you know, where you end up sitting in, in, in the family dynamic, you know, you've got the adult table and kind of the teenage area and the kid table, and you've, you've always kind of got that funny age where kids are not really kids anymore. They're kind of preteens, but they're not really old enough to sit at the adult table yet because, you know, you don't want them sitting. It's like, well, where do they belong? With Jesus, we're raised and seated with him in the heavenly realms. We're all at the head of the table. We're all at the head of the table with Jesus. And he goes on, he says, all this has happened, right, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So I quit underlining things here, and I apologize for that. But I want you to focus on this incomparable riches of his grace. So he's telling us, you're saved because of grace. That's what's saving you here. The love of God is saving you here. And there's a purpose in that, so that you may live in it and so that everybody else can see the incomparable riches. We like to think that this world has a lot to offer. That's, that's what we think. That's what people want to tell us. Live it up. Get the good job. Drive the nice cars. Buy the big house. Live the life that brings you so much happiness, that makes you look rich. America is obsessed with looking rich. We're obsessed with looking rich. There are people who have made themselves poor trying to look rich. But he said, in Jesus is where you find the what? The incomparable riches. The incomparable riches. The things that this world can't even hold a candle to. And that's only found where? In Jesus. 
It's only found in Jesus. His love is greater than anything this world has to offer. His family is greater than anything this world has to offer. His grace, his mercy, eternity is greater than anything that this world has to offer. And when people see us, they ought to see that. They ought to see us living that incomparable riches life. They ought to look at us and say, there's something so different about this person. I can't explain it. There's nothing that I have in my life that that, that makes me this happy. Even without all the stuff. But it's because of the grace of Jesus. Because of the grace of God. Because of the because of the kindness of Jesus. We go on and he says, this is sometimes where we get hung up. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Very quickly, because we're running out of time. He comes in and he reemphasizes this idea. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. We're saved because God loves us. We're saved because God wants us. We're saved because we are God's favorite. He is going to do that for us. And he says, but you, you, you get to that. This brings us back to our overall theme for the year is through your faith. You experience his grace because of your faith. And when you're living in that faith, that grace just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. But he reminds us, it's not from anything you've done. It's just a gift. It's like those gifts. And sometimes this aggravates us a little bit, right? But have you ever gotten a gift from someone that's like a gift, a box inside of a box inside of a box inside of a box? And you got to open like 15 boxes to finally get to the gift. And of course, the boxes are getting smaller and smaller. And you're like, well, the gift's getting worse and worse. If you're a kid, the bigger the box, the better the gift, right? And so it's just smaller and smaller and smaller. But it's like that. You open up a box and there's just another great gift in there. And you open up that box, and there's another great gift and another great gift. That's God giving us his grace. And it's not about me. And he said, that way no one can boast. That way I can't be like, look how good my grace is. My grace is the same as your grace. Come back tonight. We're going to continue our Romans conversation on grace, which is why we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that tonight, today. But then verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, God's masterpiece, as some of your translations say. That tells me that God took time to create you and create me as an individual. Each and every one of us is unique, handmade by God. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? But he says we're created for a purpose. We're created to what? We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He says if you need a purpose in life, live in Jesus. And he says you automatically have a purpose. God gives you a purpose in Jesus to do good things. And he says you don't have to look for them. They're already there. Look around. I mean, you don't have to search for them. All you have to do is just kind of open your eyes, be a part of the family, a part of the kingdom, and you're going to find ways to serve. You're going to have opportunities to make a difference. But to do that, to do that, we have to wake up. We can't be asleep Christians. We can't be lazy Christians and accomplish the good works of God. We can't be lazy Christians when we understand the power of God's grace. We can't be lazy Christians when we understand what it means to be alive. Because when I'm alive, I'm not taking a nap all the time. I'm not staying in the bed spiritually. 
I'm not just sitting in the pew spiritually. I'm getting up and I'm living in the incomparable riches that God has offered me. I hope that's the life you live. I hope that's the life you want. I hope that's the life that you have, the after as opposed to the before. But the truth is, is that people live in the before. He tells us people are living in it. We've all been there. People are still there. This morning, it is our hope, it is our prayer, it is our desire, it is God's want for you to leave the before and live in the after. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember to love like Jesus.